0: This is Positive Parenting, parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author
1: and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. What motivates successful people to get things done? Maybe you assume their motivation is fueled by imagining a future reward for their efforts including the joyful feeling of pride. However, a marvel of evolution is that humans are not solely motivated by positive emotions. They're also motivated and even driven to achieve by negative emotions, too. That's a primary, powerful, and often misunderstood source of motivation. Here's how that works. Essentially, people are motivated to do something based on their desire to turn on positive emotions or to turn off negative emotions. It's just a fundamental principle about how we function emotionally. Labeling emotions as positive or negative actually has little to do with their value, but instead involves how they motivate us through the ways they make us feel. Negative emotions like distress, fear, anger, disgust, and shame motivate us to do something to avoid experiencing them, or they urge us to behave in ways that will relieve their effects. There's no doubt that negative emotions, along with positive ones, significantly influence our lives by silently directing the decisions we make and motivating us to get things done. We'll start talking about the science of motivation when Positive Parenting continues right after this.
0: More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brant, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network.
2: And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because
1: prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. My guest for this part of today's show is Mary Lamia, who's the author of What Motivates Getting Things Done? Procrastination, Emotions, and Success. Mary, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming back. It's been quite a while.
3: Yes, thanks for having me on.
1: All right, let's talk about procrastination because you you have a a nicer spin on it than I think most people give the word. People's tendency to have a tendency to think of procrastination as something bad, and you yes, talk about a, two different types of procrastination. I, I was really very intrigued by that. Of course, I have a tendency to put everything I read into well, how does that affect me? And t- talk about the two different types.
3: Well, uh, actually, there's I I note two primary ways of getting things done and only one of them has to do with delay so there are people who i call deadline driven and and those are are people who are motivated by emotions that are activated when a deadline's imminent i mean they they are deadline driven they need a deadline in order to uh, become activated and The other people I call task-driven, and those are people, and I'm one of them, who become activated by their emotions every time they see something that has to get done. They feel compelled to get things done right away. If they see something out of place, they put it in place, they don't delay, they sort of get things off their plate because not having something done bothers them. Things left undone, for the most part, do not bother procrastinators they are able to delay action and until um a deadline motivates them to do the, all those other things they haven't done or do the thing they have to do at that deadline usually when a deadline is in sight people who generally procrastinate find all kinds of other things to do that they haven't done and get all of those things done right then like clean up their house or yeah. do all the dishes and then they get to that final task, the big task they have to complete at the deadline.
1: Well, you know, this kind of reminds me a little bit of a, of a conversation that I had years and years ago with somebody about, I think it was ADD, and somebody that I was interviewing. And we came to the conclusion that it, it's really not a problem if it doesn't interfere with your life. And so I guess where, where procrastination becomes a problem is that whether, if you're a, a deadline-driven person, and you put off doing stuff, and you get everything done. I think I, I kind of fall into that category, I wait until the last possible minute, but I rarely, rarely ever blow a deadline. But it's when you don't, though. That's the problem, when cra- procrastination becomes an issue, right? It's when you when you put it off, and put it off, and put it off, and then don't do it.
3: When you miss a deadline. Well, yeah. I studied a number of highly successful people, and uh, I asked Two major questions. Oh, I ask these questions of everybody and uh, to determine sort of what category they're in. And one would be the deadline-driven, and then there's the task-driven, and then there are those people who fail. They're not failures, but they are people who fail to meet a deadline. So the questions I always ask are, do you ever miss a deadline? Highly successful people across the board claim they rarely, if ever, miss a deadline. The second question is, does your work reflect your best efforts? People who tend to delay, who are very successful, always say yes, and people who are task-driven, who are successful, say yes. However, the people who fail, sometimes people get things done ahead of time, but their work does not reflect their best efforts. They just get something done to get it done. They may not procrastinate. They may not delay, but they have to get things off their plate, but they don't do a good job. And they end up failing, you know, in spite of the fact that they got something done. And then there are those people who wait and wait and wait, and then they miss a deadline, and they may never get something done or they get it done late. And I don't call those people procrastinators because they really aren't. Actually, there are other emotional inner issues that interfere with them getting something completed. And we often blame it on procrastination when in fact there's something else going on. There could be, you know, depression or anxiety or
4: yeah.
3: other other emotional issues, and to call it procrastination points I think to the wrong thing to take care of.
1: No, it sounds like it. Yeah, I, I'm, this is interesting because I, I, it brings up a an ongoing series of battles that I have with my 14-year-old about this because she is somebody who will put stuff off until the very end and then often doesn't do it. And then it gets worse for her because it, it gets she's overwhelmed by the sheer amount of stuff that she has to catch up on that she just throws up her hands and says, I can't do anything, and... It just gets to be really unpleasant, and at some while we're having conversations about this, she says, "Well, you know, you're you're no one to talk about getting things done sooner because you always wait until three o'clock in the morning the night before something's due," and saying, "Well, but I get it done, and you're not getting it done." So, right, what, what that's is,
3: the determining factor is yeah. do you ever miss a deadline, and if you don't miss a deadline and you still get it done, you're highly effective as someone who uses delay.
1: So how do, how do you talk to somebody who's not that effective, who, who is not, and I, I'm trying to stay far, far away from the word fail, because I think it's not, a, it's not a failure. It's, as you said, it's, there's something else that's going on there, but how do we figure out what's going on there?
3: Well, the first thing I try to uh, help people with is, is to help them understand emotions, because, I mean, really that's what my book is all about. It, it, it's a book about emotions and how emotions are intrinsic to all human motivation. Everything we do, everything is motivated at some level by our emotional life. We may not be conscious of it at the time, but we're motivated by our emotions. So we're not just motivated by positive emotion. We're also motivated by negative emotions. We're either, you know, maybe another way to put it is like labeling emotions as positive or negative is, is doesn't say anything about their value really. Um, instead, it involves how they motivate us through the way they make us feel. So I try to teach people how their emotions may motivate them through the way they make them feel. And some parents will say, well, I want my child to have pride in her work and and pride about doing something and getting things done. And so shouldn't the anticipation of pride motivate her? Well, you know, that's logical, but that's not always true. Uh, pride does motivate us, or anticipating pride, the excitement and enjoyment of having pride certainly pushes us forward, and the reason it does is because of our warehouse of emotional memories. We have all these emotion, emotional memories built up from early, early childhood that uh, determine pretty much who we are. And so even, even the unconscious memory we have of, our, of the joy in our parents' face, you know, their eyes, when we first walked and when we accomplished things. I mean, that's where the sense of pride comes from, all those memories of when other people were proud of us or experienced joy. Yeah. And we experienced joy in return. But that doesn't work for everybody. Some people are motivated more by their negative emotions, and those include things like distress or fear or shame or even disgust some people for example don't do their dishes because they feel proud that their kitchen is clean they do their dishes because they feel disgust when they walk into the kitchen so they're motivated to wash them so So it doesn't really
1: matter i guess at that point i mean if if your if your goal is to have a sanitary kitchen that looks pretty good does it make any difference how you get there
3: Exactly. Positive and negative emotions, um, one is not more valued than the other, but they both motivate us. What motivates kids? One is the anticipation of enjoyment of joy, those positive emotions that you get from pride. But other things motivate them too. Fear and distress, when combined together, produce anxiety. That's where anxiety comes from. Those emotions can motivate us. Anxiety about the possibility of uh, getting a bad grade.
1: Talking to Mary Lamia who's the author of What Motivates Getting Things Done: Procrastination, Emotions, and Success. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we keep talking to Mary about exactly this.
5: You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus... Save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask. Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. And 1500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound, rethink your behaviour. Cook it, store it. Share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council.
0: It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You gonna finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject.
1: How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... (laughs) Sometimes, though.
0: (laughs) You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman.
2: We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch.
0: You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad
1: Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. For are just joining us, I'm talking with Mary Lamia, who is the author of What Motivates Getting Things Done, Procrastination, Emotions, and Success. And I want you to continue on that idea about using these negative emotions and anxiety and stress to figure out what, for, for what's going on and, and how to help the kids that we're, that we want to help.
3: And I guess what I was trying to explain was how negative emotions, especially when they combine with one another produce certain effects. Um, I mentioned uh, fear and distress produce anxiety, but when fear and distress and shame commingle with one another, we get shame anxiety, and that is uh, being afraid of the possibility of experience sh- experiencing shame. And usually, in a cognitive sense, that comes out as a fear of failure. and a lot of kids have a fear of failure. Adults have a fear of failure. Certainly, athletes have it. And a fear of failure is highly, highly motivating. But it's not always negative emotions that combine with each other. Sometimes, like fear and distress and excitement can combine. And what do you get there? You get sort of an elation with fear and anxious excitement—you get that on a roller coaster ride. You get that in the high of when you're getting something done at the last minute, and you're, you're sort of on top of your game, and you're pushing forward. So, I teach people about their emotions and how to use them, better use them to activate themselves. Uh, so, for example. Uh, if somebody isn't completing their work, are they more likely to complete it or complete some of it if they challenge themselves to a 30-minute increment? So you set a timer for 30 minutes and see how much you can get done, and then it, and then it's over. And then you do it again for 30 minutes. Sometimes, especially if someone's deadline-driven, uh, it, it's important to, to give them deadlines, but give them deadlines in little chunks. Uh, another way to do it is is to um, sort of take a look. Well, you know, the first thing is you have to determine whether you're driven by deadlines or you're just driven by tasks, and, and sometimes that's not clear. You know, someone could look like they are a procrastinator when really they're not. They're really task-driven, but other emotional issues are are interfering. So the first thing you have to do is figure out when you're at the top of your game. You know, do you do things one at a time and as they come up, and is that better for you or is it better to be uh, at the last minute? So you learn about yourself by observing yourself and kind of exploring your emotional responses and your reactions that are activated, you know, when the emotions are activated.
1: Yeah. Well how do you how do you deal with this though with kids and with adults we're more likely to have projects and things that ha- that are spread out and we have other things going on in our life but kids who are in school they just get so much dumped on them all at the same time that in, in many it's not like they have a way of, of spreading things out i mean now kids these days everybody's got a timer and a you know and and a, a a calendar and they're supposed to be arranging things and prioritizing things but there's just this constant flow of stuff that has to be done always I agree
3: and and you know what there are some kids who protest because they don't see the logic of it
1: Right that's it yes how is this going to benefit me
3: <laughs> Right and so and so you have a conversation with them about how they're right because often they are you know, is, is doing five pages of math uh, better than just doing one page or doing one page in school? Well, that remains to be seen. But some kids are correct that there's a lot of busy work and, and they, they can't get behind it. You know, just the idea of getting a good grade and maybe they think to themselves, well, why do I just want more stress? Because it's a series of grades I have to get. And then I go to college and I have to get more good grades. So they just can't see the benefit in it. So what do you do then? You have a lot of discussions. And and you listen to what they have to say about it. And sometimes when a, a child can air her grievances, it helps them become more motivated to get it done. But you are So correct. How,
1: how would that go, though? How, how would the conversation go?
3: Well, the conversation would go something like, um, well, what do you think about all this work you have to get done? And how do you understand not doing it? Did you not feel like it, or was there something else going on? Try to explain to me so I could better understand. And they'll tell you, well, it's a waste of time. And you tell them, well, they're probably correct but what else? <laughs> yeah, And then they'll tell you the what else. I'd rather, I'd rather be doing this or I'd rather be socializing or I'm really good at helping my friends with their problems and, the, and they're more important to me than doing this page of math. And you commend them for their values. But then you'll keep asking them questions about why it might be good to get it done. And, and to just respect their opinion and value their opinion. But you have to have a lot of those conversations, and then you ask if there's any way in which you could help, or how could you make it easier, or if this is what what's important, so that they could succeed in life somehow. Uh, how could you help them do that?
1: Now, do you think that there's such a thing as as negative help? I mean. We want to have the kids develop skills to be able to meet their own deadlines and take care of things on their own, right? But if you negotiate with a child's teacher to extend a deadline or if you end up doing what I think way too many parents do, which is you kind of jump in and do part of the project for them, what's the message there?
3: Well, uh, I don't think anyone should take seriously their thoughts of extending a deadline. Always drawing from a project if they could do it. Usually, people who extend a deadline, uh, um, people who tend to procrastinate, who ask for deadline extensions, generally don't get things done necessarily, especially if it's habitual. It's not a good idea because then you procrastinate until that deadline, and then sometimes you could fail to meet that deadline as well. In the same way, people who do things ahead of time have their own set of fantasies. They they usually have fantasies that um, ha- have to do with uh, uh, sort of fantasies of escape, like, well, if I break my leg or if I get sick, I won't have to do this thing. <laughs> so yeah. I try to teach people in the book to let go of those fantasies, let go of deadline extension fantasies, let let go of fantasies of escape. It's just your mind's way of trying to get out of the circumstance you're in. It's not going to work. Get it done. Um, so, so should you um, habitually make an effort to get an extension for a child? No. It's, I don't think it's in their best interest.
1: No, I don't think so either. I'm just kind, of, I, but I, I, it's a it's a tool I think that a lot of people use is that you know, in in the in our efforts to help our children, we will lean towards something like that. Well, let's get you some more
3: time. One of the reasons why uh, people often um, get tutors for their children, and not everybody can afford a tutor, and that's un- you know makes life very unfair, is so that. Their their child will get things done because having somebody sit down with you sometimes helps. I would ask a child if it would help having me sit with them, or it, would it help having me do something with them, mm-hmm. or uh, would it help to listen to music? Some you know music doesn't necessarily interfere with a child getting their work done. Sometimes it it helps focus their attention. I would. I would go through all the ways that it would help, you know, what would help, and have the child come up with some of those answers, too.
1: Right, exactly.
3: But what happens is that we become addicted to the enjoyment of success, and what you want to to do is to trigger that joy and enjoyment and excitement in a child so that they can reach for it.
1: Mary Lemia is the author of... What motivates getting things done? Procrastination, emotions, and success. Mary, thanks so much.
3: Thank you, Armin.
4: I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council.
1: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Bront, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. This one dealing with treating boys and girls differently. Do we really need to? Dear Mr. Dad, my husband and I have two-year-old twins, a girl and a boy, and we both love spending time with them. But I've noticed that he and I have very different styles in several ways. We do different activities with the kids. And I've also noticed that I do a better job of treating the kids the same while he treats our son very differently than our daughter. What's the best way to play with a toddler? And isn't it better to play with the two kids in exactly the same way? The short answers to your questions are A, there's no such thing as a best way or a right way to play with children. And B, it's impossible to treat two children in identical ways, whether they're the same sex or not. To start with, moms and dads typically have very different play styles, with dads leaning toward louder, physical activities, moms towards quieter, less physical ones. Neither approach is better than the other. For their first few years of life, kids learn almost everything about the world through play. And they're learning different but equally valuable lessons from each of you. So the best approach is for your kids to have both. Moms and dads differ in other ways as well. For example, dads generally encourage independence, allowing their children to take more risks and learn from the consequences. Moms tend to be more cautious and protective and encourage their children to take fewer risks, perhaps in an effort to spare them the pain that comes with failure. Of course, not all moms and dads fall into these patterns, but most do. Again, the best approach is both. Here's how this might play out. Imagine that you're in a park and your kids are climbing a jungle gym. You may find yourself standing closer to the bottom, ready to catch a falling child, warning them to be careful and suggesting that they've gone high enough. Your husband will most likely be standing a bit further away, encouraging the kids to climb higher. Or, if you're walking with your kids and one of them falls, your husband will probably wait a few seconds longer than you do before helping. As you notice, dads and moms often don't treat their sons and daughters the same way, with moms being more egalitarian and dads more traditional. Dads tend to be more physical with and encourage independence in boys than girls, perhaps as a way to toughen boys up. Dads respond more quickly to fussy or crying girls than to boys and will pick up a daughter who's fallen sooner than a son. Interestingly, when it comes to gender roles, moms and dads are equally likely to support stereotypes. They're perfectly fine about dressing a girl in pink or blue, wanting to give her the option to be anything she wants to be but the same parents would balk at putting their son in pink. Similarly, while they might encourage a girl to play with trucks and other boy toys, they're less likely to encourage a boy to play with dolls, unless they're superheroes or soldiers. While it might seem like a nice idea to treat your son and daughter the same way, that's never going to happen. The best you can do is give them both the same options and support the choices they make. A few years ago, I interviewed a mother of boy-girl twins who, like you, tried very hard to create a gender-neutral environment at home. So she was very surprised that her daughter often wrapped up toy trucks, gave them bottles, and rocked them to sleep. And she was equally surprised that her son tore the heads off the Barbie dolls and used the legs as guns. We'll be back next week with a whole new Positive Parenting show for you. Until then, I'm Armand Broad.